on this Mother's Day, moms, we want to honor you. I confess that no doubt we don't notice you enough. Those who I shared at the beginning of our worship time that today marks some source of pain or hurt for you. I can imagine it would be easy to feel invisible on a day like today. Men, boys, this is not a day that just passes us by. There's value that God has for us even on this day. Paul is going to be talking to us on a similar theme. Where is our value? Where is it that we get our identity? As one has noted, even when you feel invisible, as long as you are serving him, as long as you are doing it for him, it doesn't matter who sees. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue our series, Fighting for Joy. And our culture that may want us to just make each worship experience about a holiday that we have in our culture. And as good as Mother's Day is, I believe God is calling us this Mother's Day to not only honor our mothers, but to stay in track, stay in line with where he has us in his word. And I believe it's not only a word or a message for moms, it's a word and a message for all of us here today. Paul has been talking to us about joy. He's been talking to us about how we need to fight for joy at all costs. And when we begin to see what life's greatest gain is, it gives us a different perspective on what joy is. We know how this world works. Just as that little skit portrayed that the world tells you that if people notice you, then you're valued. And if people don't notice you, then you begin to not feel valued. And it takes a very different set of thinking to see that when the audience of one is pleased, it's better than the audience of many. But our world is constantly telling us, our culture is constantly telling us to build a trophy wall, to build a collection of credentials and a collection of awards and a collection of things that you could identify yourself with. And Paul talks about this in his culture, and he's going to give us some insight that I think even applies to us today. Our world around us is not that much different from the culture that Paul was talking about in this sense, that our culture still says, gather everything that you could identify yourself with. What brings you credibility? What makes you good? What makes people like you? You gather things on your trophy wall of your life of your education that opens certain doors for you or, or your certificates, those things that have been given to you that give you some kind of authority that Without it, you wouldn't have. There are awards, things that you have achieved. There are certain experiences of bravery. I'm not a super brave guy, but in a moment of insanity or weakness, I jumped off a 50-foot cliff one time. I have photo evidence to prove it, that I never have to do anything daring like that again the rest of my life. It's easy to hang that on a trophy wall for me and say, that marks some kind of achievement. I can look at trophies that have some value to me or awards where someone said that you were rising higher than others around you. For some, the trophy wall is not as clear as what you would hang on a shelf. It it just may be the resources that you have stockpiled. No one else may know, but you know the zeros that are behind in your accounts and you begin to see how things are multiplied and you feel pretty good about what you have accumulated. It can be a trophy wall of sorts. 
Others, it may be the keys that you held in your hands this morning, literally and figuratively, of what they open and unlock and give access to. You think of the home or the house that you have built. You think of the car that you drive and what it says about you or what it gives to you. It may be symbolically the keys that you have for your place at work that gives you some sense of authority to lock or unlock, to gain access to whatever it is that your keys represent. Trophy walls are are beyond just awards and degrees and certificates and those things. Some of us, it's just, it's the name that we have created for ourselves. Maybe it's the name that you inherited or the name that you've worked so hard to, to make sure it's not tarnished. And when people hear your name, they, they think of some things. And so a trophy wall for you is, is your reputation. Others, it's what you see of yourself. You've worked hard to see yourself a certain way or present yourself a certain way. And that is, in, in a sense, uh, a gathering of credentials or a gathering of awards or trophies or accolades that this culture says should open certain doors for you. We strive to build a wall of achievements that will speak to others about ourselves, a wall that will define ourselves. We strive to build credentials that will get us to go places that we've wanted to go and, and we draw attention to ourselves, defining who we are and hopefully building ourselves up. It gives us something to stand on in a credential achievement-based world around us. But Paul in this letter, as we're going to look in his text here in just a moment, he shatters his own trophy wall. He says, this is not at all what I'm going to hang on to. Because in God's economy, in God's way, things are different. And in achievements and trophies and accolades and approval of others are, are not used the same way in God's kingdom as they are in this world. In fact, Yours and mine won't get us very far. That's what we're going to look at in Philippians chapter 3. Look with me at verse 1 through 11. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. Some of you here today, you say, how long is Pastor Brady going to talk about joy? I mean, it's been week after week after week. I mean, I know I'm not supposed to complain about the Bible, and this is, you know, book of Philippians, but at this point, I'd be voting for Leviticus or something. Let's just move on to something else. I mean, haven't we heard enough about joy? Well, I want to echo to you the words of Paul. He says, well, well, finally then, it doesn't bother me to tell you this again. You've heard me say this, Paul is saying. You've, You've already read what I have written. I've told you over and over. I've lived it out before you. I will tell you about the joy of the Lord. This gives us one dynamic theme in this passage. Jot this down. It's the dynamic theme of joy in sharing. See, Paul continued to challenge them to rejoice in the joy of the Lord, and it brought him joy. To tell them about the joy of the Lord brought joy to him. The joy of sharing was a part of the joy of the Lord in his own life. Now, for these last few weeks, as we've been hearing Paul's words on joy, we need to remember that he was writing this book from a prison cell. It was a less than ideal circumstance. So when he talks about having joy in the Lord all the time, no matter what's going on, he's actually living out his message as he's writing his message. He's not writing from some plush, reserved, safe 
secure location. He is in a dungeon. He is in a prison. He has been falsely accused. He's had all kinds of bad things happen to him. And he responds with joy. The joy of the Lord and the joy of sharing the joy of the Lord with someone else. Now these first two chapters, we can't find anywhere where Paul loses the focus of his message and the focus of his heart to talk about joy. Now Paul doesn't pray when he's in prison, God, get me out of here. It's unfair. It's not right. I deserve better than this. In fact, he says, maybe this could be an opportunity for me to really experience the joy of the Lord. By contrast of what's going on, the joy of the Lord will be my strength and and he is so far greater than anything else around us. Maybe this could be a setting where I could could show the joy of the Lord to the people I'm writing to in Philippi. Could I demonstrate to them that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world? And could they not see that the joy of the Lord could be their strength as well? In fact, it encourages his heart to even think about that opportunity. But friends, for most of us, that's not our response when we get in a tough situation. We find ourselves in a financial jam and we say, oh God, get me out of this mess. I don't have any more spending money. God, would you help me? I, I can't pay all the bills that I feel like I have, and it's the end of the world. God, I cannot believe that they said that about me. It's not right, or at least most of it's not right. And, and, and could you at least have the part of the truth come out that makes me look good, God? And, and, and please don't let that happen. We plead with God in every moment of uncomfortableness, in every moment of need. And and there's nothing wrong to go to the Father with everything that's on your heart. But but look at the contrast of what Paul is doing and how some of us live our life. Paul is allowing the joy of the Lord to shine in these moments of great need. He was wronged. He was in a bad place. And and we're not saying that you should be a glutton for punishment. You should just love this and I want to be in a dungeon today. I hope that happens. I hope that everything goes wrong. No. But Paul is saying, even when the world throws the worst at me, I have the joy of the Lord in my heart. Let's read on, because he doesn't stop there. He continues to give us some instruction on on how to live this joyful life. In fact, some warnings. Look at verse 2. Watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil. Those mutilators of the flesh. Watch out, young church. Watch out for false teachers. Watch out for the joy robbers. There's one powerful warning here that Paul is giving. He says, even though it brings me joy to tell you this again, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Be careful. There are those who will rob your joy. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's yourself. And he calls them dogs. These mutilators of the flesh. Technically, they, they were called the Judaizers. <coughs> These people would follow Paul from town to town. And after he planted a church, they would sweep in and they would begin to say, things need to be done our way. You need to do it the way we see it. You see, they were planting churches, Paul's crew, in places that were predominantly Gentile. These Judaizers, these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh would come in and say, it needs to be done our way. And we need to have things done in a way that is comfortable to us. As Paul was planting churches, they would come in and say, they're not circumcised. They they didn't have a problem with Jesus. 
they were okay with Jesus being the Messiah, but they were not okay with them not being circumcised. And circumcision, as you know, it was a sign of a covenant with God and his promised people. It was in accordance to the instructions of the old covenant given to Abraham in Genesis. It was a symbol of, of the Jewish people. And so if those who Paul's converts were not subscribing to the old ways of historic Judaism, they didn't like it. They were okay with Jesus. They were okay with Jesus even being the Messiah, but they wanted to change God's message. The message that Paul taught, the message that Paul would preach, the message that God inspired through Paul. They wanted to change it and say, Jesus is okay, but you need something else. They changed God's message. Yes, faith in Jesus Christ, but you need to also add the yoke of the Jewish law. Now, there's some characteristics of those who come into our life that want to steal or rob our joy. Sometimes we play that part. Often others play that part. Here's how we can identify it. It's this addition formula. I heard someone speak this uh, week, and uh, they were sharing in a group of people, a large group of people, and they said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty quick at math. I'm pretty fast at math. I'm just not very accurate. I loved it. I thought, you know what, I think I resemble that remark. I can come to an answer pretty quick. I, you know, you're going to have to tell me if it's right or not. The whole humor in that is, well, what point is there in being fast at arithmetic if you don't come up with the right answer? The whole point of math is that no matter who does the equation, the right answer should always be what you arrive at. You could be fast, you could articulate it quickly, but if you don't come to the right answer, what good is your math? This formula that the Judaizers, the dogs, the mutilators of the flesh were using, it was this addition formula. It was Jesus plus something equals salvation. Now, these dogs that Paul is referring to, these people who were mutilators of the flesh, they would have said Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. It's not that different today. I don't hear many groups calling out for the same thing, but it's Jesus plus something. That's what gives salvation. That's what gives hope. Religion or rules. It's not just adding of theological teachings, these false teachings, Jesus plus some kind of false teaching that leads people astray. Sometimes it's Jesus plus our false confidence that can lead us astray. Some of us live out this quick arithmetic that doesn't arrive at the right answer. Jesus plus religion, that's what gives me salvation. That's what gives me hope. That's what's enough. Jesus plus my heritage, that's what's enough for me. Jesus plus my family. Jesus plus my social status. Jesus plus my job. All of a sudden, this trophy wall becomes something that's a little bit more personal and close to home. And, and it may be that you hang on to an actual trophy as something that your identity is in. But for most of us, it's something a little less descriptive than that. It may be Jesus plus my financial security. As long as my retirement is in the right place, then I'm doing good. I mean, I believe in Jesus. I have no problem with him being the Messiah. I have no problem with him being the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm a Christian, but I also need retirement. I'm a Christian, but people need to know who I am. Or they at least need to know what I stand for if they're going to know who I am. I mean, Jesus is good and all, but, but there's a certain level of expectation of what 
I'm owed. I mean, a roof over my head, a car to drive, is that too much to ask? Pretty soon, it's not about needs, but it's about how we identify who we are in Christ. And Paul is saying, hey, hey, there's no joy in that. The math is all wrong. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus Christ in him alone. But those who change God's message have this faulty formula. Paul says, watch out for those joy robbers. We expect it from the world sometimes, but we don't always expect it from ourselves. Sometimes we put on that role of mutilator of the flesh. The dogs, the Judaizers, those who are not content with Jesus being enough. Look at verse 3. Then we see some characteristics of those who are changed by God's message. They don't change the message but they have been transformed or changed themselves. Look at verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Those are characterized, you'll identify them, because they hope in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else is in Jesus only. When Jesus saves us, he becomes our credentials, not only our Savior. You see, we are justified. Justification is, it's just as if I never sinned. When he forgives me, he washes the slate clean, and it's just as if I never sinned. I not only get the forgiveness of God, I end up getting the credentials of Jesus Christ. He is the one that opens the doors in my life, and joy is found in him and him alone. Another characteristic here is there's no confidence in human effort don't miss this when the righteousness of christ is put into our account as an exchange for our guilty sins an equation that doesn't make sense to us but we give jesus our sin we confess we repent he forgives us he comes into our life also deposited into our life is his credentials his value his worth his giftings he gives to us Our identity, our value, our future, our hope is not so much in who we are, but whose we are. Now, church, I would imagine that for many, this message is not new. If this is a brand new message for you today, I want you to hang on because this truth can change your life forever. Freedom will be coming to your house today. But there's a lot of us, I think Paul would be echoing if he was standing here today saying, I don't mind telling you again. You've taught it. You've sung about it. You've heard it preached decade after decade after decade. But let me tell you again, because it brings joy to my heart to remind you, to tell you that Jesus is enough. I'm not suggesting that you or I don't trust in Jesus. I'm suggesting that the culture has pressed in on us so much that we begin to play with some faulty formulas. And it's Jesus plus something else. Paul says, joy will not be found there. It's in Christ, in Christ alone, placing no confidence in the human flesh. Now let's look at verse 4 through 6 together. Paul does an interesting thing. He just said, We put no confidence in the flesh. Look at verse 4. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. Now he's going to air out his trophy wall. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's getting his brag on. Circumcised on the eighth day? Check. 
Of the people of Israel? Check. Of the tribe of Benjamin? Check. A Hebrew of Hebrews? Check. In regard to the law? A Pharisee? Check. As for zeal? Persecuting the Christians or the church? Check. As for legalistic righteousness? Faultless? Check. He just walks through his trophy wall and the people he's talking to were predominantly gentiles and they didn't have these things and he's beginning to say now if anybody has confidence in what they have been given or what they have earned i should have confidence he gives one impressive resume but paul moves on and he begins to say let me make sure you understand what i'm talking about talks about his advantages by birthright he was of israelite stock Right from the start, he was a member of God's chosen people. He wasn't a convert to Judaism. He was born. He had the bloodline of Jacob flowing through his veins. He said, not only that, but I come from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not a half-breed. I got mom and dad both in the right strain of line of lineage. I'm circumcised. I followed the law to the T. From the time I was born, I was following the law. Then he moves from his own heritage to his own personal trophies, achievements. Advantages by his personal achievement. He says, I've joined the most orthodox Jewish party, the Pharisees. I'm one of the most zealous interpreters of the law. I studied under the best teachers. I'm devoted to the law, and I'm well known for my zeal. I'm known everywhere for for me taking my beliefs to the extreme, even to persecute the Christians who were not doing what the Jews wanted at the time. He stands back. He looks at his own trophy wall. He says, these achievements, these credentials, this birthright, they should open certain doors. I did it all right. Society says, I should have it all. But he says, I count it all rubbish. It's trash. It's worthless. It doesn't do anything for me. There's no joy there. There's no strength there. You need to count it as trash, Paul says. That's what he does in verse 8. Now look at what he does in verse 7 and 9. But whatsoever was to my profit... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, trash, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that that comes, that, that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ. He does an amazing reversal here, and he says, all these things I've built up, I'm not making them up, he says, they're real, I've been given them, but they're all trash. I put them behind me for how good of a credential that Jesus is. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. So if you or I or Paul or any of these dogs, the mutilators of the flesh, think that there's any achievement, any accomplishment, anything that we can boast in of ourselves, that we can wave before God and impress him, Paul says, think again. It doesn't even matter 
if you're invisible. It doesn't even matter if people notice you, because even if they noticed you, if they saw how wonderful you were, it's all trash compared to the gift he's given you in Jesus Christ. Paul says, think about this again. There's got to be something more. When we take our human credentials, human credentials become worthless when we use them to secure our salvation. If I try to think of the things that have been passed down to me or that I've earned or that are part of my right, they're useless when it comes to salvation. See, there is no partnership in our righteousness. Now, don't misunderstand this. Last week we talked about our role with the Father. And God comes in, His Spirit comes in, and speaks to the will of our life. And it's our job to take every thought, every feeling, every desire captive and make it subject to the King of Kings. And so we have a role in there. But don't misunderstand, we're not partners. We're not co-equals on this to where if, if we didn't show up, God has no power. He needs our resource. He has chosen to use us. And see, we, we need to understand that even in our own efforts, there's no boldness that we could boast in. It's only by the grace of God. We have a responsibility, yes, but it's His grace that gives us hope. From this, Paul brings this passage to a conclusion with two great gains. Two points. The two great gains are found in verse 10 and 11. Let's look at them together. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Two great gains. First, to know Christ. Paul saying, I want to be found in him. In the final judgment, I don't want to be found clinging to a defective, insufficient, inadequate trophy wall of my achievements. I want to be clinging to Jesus Christ. I want to know him, the one who has given everything of himself for me. I want to know his heart. I want that heart to touch me and talk to me. The one who knows my name that we sing about. The one who's more precious than silver. He is the one I want to know. And second, of the greatest gains of life, he says, I want to be like Christ. I want to become like Christ. I want to take on the shape of Jesus in his death and his resurrection. I want him to show up vividly in my life so that others could say about me, there's something in him that I don't have. This was Paul's testimony. This was his joy. He says, Jesus plus something else never works. I want to tell you again, he says, you need me to give you a picture of joy. His final thought, and I'll be through this morning. When people see you, do they see a life that is changed by the gospel? Or do they see a life that compromises the gospel? Are you someone who is changed by Jesus? Or do you try to change the message of Jesus to fit how you live? These dogs, mutilators of the flesh, they accepted Jesus as Messiah, but they wanted to add their own things to it for their comfort, for their own worth. And Paul says there's no joy in that. On this day, Mother's Day, moms, we want to honor you. Not because you're the most important thing today. We're here to worship Jesus. But you are a great gift given to us. And we thank the Father for the gift of your life 
in our life. But for moms, for dads, for men, women, boys, girls, is there the hope of Jesus that you're hanging on to, or is it adding something else? I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. I want you just to ask the Father, how's my math? Am I trying to put something else in that equation for me to feel fulfilled, valued? You see, every single one of us in this room would probably have something different in that blank, Jesus plus something. But the fact of the matter is that that blank is a temptation for all of us. Lord, I ask right now that you would go to my brother or sister. I pray that you would remind them of the great joy you have for them today. That no matter what's on their trophy wall or what isn't there, none of it will get us where we need to go. That you are more than enough. And Lord, I pray that you will convict some of us of the things we're trying to attach to what we need in life. Remind us that you are more than enough. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room that are living a Jesus-only life. I pray that you'll convict us that the joy can become greater when we share how important you are to us. Lord, let us live out in every circumstance as if we lift you up, not lifting up our discomfort or our pain, but look for every opportunity to say that you are enough even in this challenge of life. Thank you, Father, that you are good all the time. You are more precious than gold and silver as we've been singing. You know our name and you have called us your friends. Nothing can take the place of the centrality of you, Jesus, in our life. Amen.